Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture in New Orleans at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Convention. Joining me now is the uh, outgoing president of NCBA, Kevin Kester. And Kevin, uh, first of all, uh, what a way to go out with a big turnout here at this year's convention. It's a wonderful turnout. We're going to break all-time attendance records for National Cattlemen's Beef Association trade show and the beef industry uh, meetings. So uh, we're going to bust through 10,000 people for the first time ever, and we'll see how close we can get to 11,000. But it's it's great set of meetings. Okay, as you wrap up your year as president and you look back, what stands out to you? Well, several, uh, three things actually. So top of mind across the country as I traveled around are trade issues. Obviously, uh, everybody's uh, wanting to talk about what's going on with a whole bunch of different trade issues Mm -hmm. from uh, our new agreement, the old NAFTA agreement with Canada and Mexico with the new one. Uh, South Korea we wrapped up. We got uh, Japan and the European Union, United Kingdom and so on, and, uh, and China tariffs. But then uh, two things that producers, grassroots folks wanted to talk about was uh, transportation issues with the uh, ELDs and mm-hmm. hours of service for livestock callers. People wanted to get updated on that to see what uh, we were doing on that. And then uh, the other big thing was fake meat. Mm-hmm. So uh, producers across the country wanted to get updated on where the government and where industry was going on that. So uh, those three uh, topics uh, kept us talking a lot. And you've had some progress made on those, but there's still work to be done. Actually, yes, on all three. So uh, we made a lot of progress, uh, a lot more work to be done, but I'm optimistic on transportation issues. Uh, we'll come out with a common sense solution for livestock haulers that'll give us the least impact, uh, uh, safe impact. And then for the fake meat, uh, those products from a laboratory won't be coming on the market for several years at the very least, but we want to make sure we're properly set up between the USDA and the FDA where we're not going to be unfairly uh, targeted and uh, false claims made. How many times do you think in this past year have you had a producer say to you, what's NCBA doing about then fill in the blank, whatever that issue might be? Thousands of times, actually. I mean, I was on the road literally almost every week of the year. Uh, except for Christmas and Thanksgiving, essentially. And so I had the chance to interact with a lot of grassroots uh, producers, ranchers, and farmers. And everybody has, uh, from wherever they're from, their particular issue and uh, wanted us to talk about it, and we did. You know, and those are all issues that you you, you address, you continue to work on. And Jennifer Houston is the incoming president. Uh, I know that she's looking forward to dealing with those issues and, and challenges. But when we look at the opportunities, we see the popularity of beef and we see the, the market growth that you have, the demand that's out there, that has to be very encouraging to your industry and your producers. It is because uh, domestic demand here in the U.S. has been steady to even uh, strong in some cases. That is good news, but the great news is our export markets. We had a 17% or so. We'll know when the final government figures come out for December, but uh, for the first time ever, we will have gone over in value $8 billion. And that equates to about one-fifth, 20% of every Fed steer and heifer in this country gets exported overseas include the hides and offals and meat variety meats that it comes to in some cases more than four hundred dollars a head in exports so it's a big deal and it affects us all the way back to the ranch as you turn the reins of the organization over to jennifer houston what do you see as the biggest issues facing beef producers in the coming year and in the years ahead 
Well, the biggest thing will be probably something we don't even know about yet. Uh, so you always, uh, but we're nimble. We have a great staff in Washington, D.C. And so uh, we have the things that we already mentioned here, but uh, we'll continue to work on trade. The president is uh, very engaged, as you know. We have actually, we'll have at least four big trade issues, uh, five actually coming up. And so I'll still be involved. Uh, also, uh, I'm on a... Uh, Ag Policy Advisory Committee uh, with the President for Ambassador Lighthizer and Secretary Purdue. So, but Jennifer and the rest of the NCBA officer team, which I'll still be a part of for another year, uh, we have a great officer team, a strong officer team. NCBA has a great staff, especially in Washington, D.C. representation, so we're in good hands. Well, you bring up a good point, which I agree with. I always talk to people that are running for an office of an organization. They, uh, they always have plans of what they want to do. I always say it's how you handle the unexpected that will really uh, determine whether you're successful or not as a leader and as an organization. Yeah, and I'm uh, happy to say that uh, we think about that all the time, staff and leadership, so uh, we'll be ready and nimble to handle whatever pops up. Uh, on the trade front, obviously getting USMCA passed, hopefully getting something done with China and Japan, those are big issues. Japan's our number one market. We went over $2 billion out of that $8 billion I was talking about just to Japan. And that's with a 38.5% tariff. Now what we got to work on is that bilateral with Japan because Australia is still a part of the old TPP. And so they're going to be down to 26.6% April 1st. That's a widespread from 38.5 down to 26.6. But Australia is still in the drought. In fact, I just came from the Califax update. Dr. Art Douglas was saying that Australia is still in a severe drought, will continue to be. So that gives us two or three years probably to ratify and get a Japan bilateral engaged uh, with the U.S. government. So we're going to work hard on that because it's very important. And USMCA, it's going to be a struggle, obviously, to get anything passed in Washington these days. But... Um when we look at the alternative, the possibility of pulling out a NAFTA, that's that's not very promising. So that puts more emphasis, more importance on getting this deal passed. It absolutely does. So if the divided Congress, with the House being under different uh, leadership now, if they try to stall because of presidential election politics, uh, what surprised me if President Trump uh, sincerely uh, threatens and actually could go through with officially giving notification to pull out of the old NAFTA agreement to put pressure on Congress mm -hmm. to go ahead and pass a new USMCA agreement. So that's the politics, the reality of it, but uh, stay tuned. As you look back, what would be your biggest disappointment, something you wished you'd have been able to get done this past year that you weren't able to? Uh, to get all our trade agreements uh, done. To stay in the TPP, uh, we, for beef, we had a great deal with Japan in particular. Um, so we uh, uh, were disappointed still. But on the other hand, we support the president and his actions. And uh, we're going to work uh, with the administration to the best of our ability and get these other trade bilateral trade agreements done. So um, I wish we'd get uh, ELD and uh, transportation done before Congress changed hands. It's going to be that much more of a challenge to come up with a common sense solution for hours of service that least impact in a safe manner for those of us on the West Coast, East Coast, and the South. And regulations. That's always an issue, a challenge. Uh, I know you're working on waters of the U.S. and some of those issues that impact producers across the country. Absolutely right. I want to remind uh, people listening that waters of the United States, even though the uh, President Trump has rolled out, which I was a part of that rollout ceremony in Washington, D.C., of the, the new proposed definition of what constitutes jurisdictions for waters of the United States, that's a good thing, but it's just starting up in that process and at the same time we still have in the federal court system the leftovers uh, court actions from the Obama proposal on WOTUS and we got to see that through also so we still got more work to do we need to pay attention to it. 
always call it ag in the courtroom. It's not something we like to see or have to be in in court uh, for these issues, but that's increasingly where a lot of these issues wind up. It's a necessary evil, as I say, because we have to take hard-earned producer dollars to defend ourselves, whether it's a state court or a federal court. And I always hate to see that happen because it's actually a waste of money, mm -hmm. uh, as I see it. We could put those hard-earned dollars to better use, but it's a necessary evil in order to protect us from staying in business and we'll do what it takes. I'd say overall there is, a, I think, a positive feeling here of optimism, wouldn't you, among producers? I absolutely 100% agree with that, not only here in New Orleans right now at this big meeting, but as I travel to all our state affiliates, every corner of the country, I am pleasantly surprised how people are in a good, positive mood, and actually uh, those people who supported President Trump uh, two years ago are still with him. They have a positive attitude, and we'll see what happens in the future. All right. Well, Kevin, good luck to you, and congratulations on a very uh, eventful and in many ways a successful year as president of NCBA. Thank you. It's been great. Thank you very much. All right. Kevin Kester, the outgoing president of NCBA. Stay with us. More coming up from here in New Orleans at the NCBA convention here on AOA. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it, and you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask? Save the food. Because this ad is trying to change the world's behavior through brainwashing. Because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. And that costs a family of four $1,500 a year. Save the food. Cha-ching. It's worsening climate change through the release of methane gas. Save the food. Cha-ching. And it's wasting precious natural resources like our fresh water. Save the food. Cha-ching. So when you hear this sound, don't be neutral. Rethink your behavior. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, 
we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Convention going on here in New Orleans. Joining us now is Don Close, Senior Animal Protein Analyst for Rabo Research. Don, thanks for joining us. Uh, you've done some research, got some information out about changes in the cattle industry structure and, and where the industry is going. Tell us about it. What we've worked on uh, this time is as we have made client calls over the last couple of years and we've, we've spent a lot of time focused on the grow yards and and our takeaway from, from those trips is we're seeing, while it's still a very subtle change, but we're seeing a big change in the way that grow yards and background operations are being used in the industry that, you know, the traditional role for those facilities was more or less residual housing for cattle that if either the the, the calf market or the feed yards got back that we just simply had a place to inventory numbers. That has changed and uh, grow yards are increasingly used as a service to the, the commercial feed yards or a collection point for cattle but it's an, that opportunity to to handle those lightweight cattle and high-risk cattle to get them straightened out that when they do are placed on feed in the feed yard those cattle are are straightened out and ready to perform so I think this is this is one kind of that that central hub that growth in this area I think it will become a more much more permanent structure and, and with that I'm not saying that conventional stalker operations are going away I just think it's a it's a new more competition in the space but I think that has good connotations for the cow calf producer in that it the the, the lowest common denominator is that it just increases the number of buyers in the market but the other the other imp- help to the to cow calf space it enables that cow calf producer and opposed to being in the trap of selling calves the same day or the same week of all his neighbors it expands that marketing window to a buyer who is in the market all of the time uh, to provide opportunity so that's a benefit the other the other benefit we see to the cow calf space as we see ever escalating increases in lease rates and the difficulty in finding available pasture ground if we were to displace a share of the conventional stalker programs that would open up the opportunity open up grass to expand additional cow numbers so where are we in this structural change uh very far into it or do you see this something that's going to develop over a period of time i wish i i wish i had a definitive answer on that one and and it's an area that there there is no black and white number you know we don't have like we have monthly cattle on feed numbers we just don't have that that number i i am going to make this assessment i think we're i think we're well into that transition uh, part of my motivation for writing the piece was 
I clearly see this as a as the com- large commercials using it as a service. And one of the things I wanted to accomplish for the the intermediates or even the small independent and even farmer feeders said, you know, whether this is an option that is of interest to you or not, it certainly behooves you to understand your competition. This is how they're handling cattle, and you need to be, you know, to at least be aware. So it does have kind of a ripple effect throughout the entire industry. I think it absolutely does. Um, clearly, I, I, I'm absolutely convinced it it provides benefits to that commercial feeder. And and the real driver there is the the frequency that I have conversations with producers of all sizes of businesses, but labor is their number one headache. That nowhere is that more true than in the commercial feed yards. So that that enables that commercial feeder to pass off part of that problem, um, but to a to a service operator. I think it improves the, the, the health status of the cattle when done right. I think it gives way more assurance to what the cost of gain are while those cattle are in the facility, and it gives a much uh, tighter window on daily performance and pro- daily gains and projected outdates that assist that cattle feeder in better defining when, those, when he needs a rail slot for that particular pen of cattle which makes me wonder why maybe it didn't happen sooner. What, why is now the time it's happening? I think there are two drivers, and that's, I've had the same question. I'd even go to three answers. The, the one we've already touched on, that as, as grass lease rates have gone up, it just made other, other options more viable. I think a, a real driver, the labor issue that we've already discussed about is a, is a linchpin in this. But the third point of that that I think is, is what brings that and why its time is here, that as more and more commercial feeders are marketing cattle on some kind of formula agreement where they are committing to deliver cattle at a specific time slot with a specific set of bells and whistles, this is an avenue that enables them to more accurately meet that projected outdate. We're talking with Don Close, Senior Animal Protein Analyst for Rabo Research. Uh, do you see any other changes in, happening in the industry that are maybe underway now or that may be coming? Uh, the, the one that I think is the most exciting, that we and we we're certainly well into this one, it, and it's not new news, but if you take the, the 20 to 25% increase in the, in the number of choice and better cattle that we're seeing in the grading mix daily, just that the improvement in, in cattle quality in the time window that that has occurred is just amazing. If you take a lot of the technology that, that so many different people are working on today, both in animal health but in the genetics field, even though we're pushing above that 80% choice and better, I think the cattle quality will just continue to get better. So that, that to me is a really exciting area. And when we look at the strength and demand for beef, mm-hmm. I, that has to be connected, don't you think? A better product going out all the time. Hands down. And, and where I see that as being very, very important, not only are we seeing and, and, and getting the fruit of those efforts in the domestic market, but 
North America is pristinely positioned to be the quality and ultra-high quality beef provider to the world. The time I spent in Australia, the, the, the competition we're getting from Brazil, clearly the, the premiums that the U.S. gets for product does not go unnoticed from our competitors. Those guys are, you know, are working within their systems to try to improve cattle quality. So it's one that we're going to have to continue to push forward on to, to hold that advantage that we have. I think it's interesting whether you're growing corn or soybeans or raising cattle, as new technology uh, becomes available to you, you, a producer or a grower asks the question, okay, if I make that investment, do I see it pay off on the other end? You're saying we're seeing that uh, for beef producers. I think that's absolutely absolutely true. And and when I we look at this as uh, the, the, the recent domestic demand we have had in the market, and we clearly attribute that as economists, we have attributed that to the strength of the overall economy. There's no dispute that's true. I think what we have done a poor job of discussing is it's been 27 years since that first beef quality audit, and the industry acknowledged we have to make changes, and it's taken that long for those steps for improved quality to come through. Why that's important? At some point in time, this economy is going to soften, but with that improvement in in eating characteristics, even when the economy contracts, beef will still hold a stronger appeal over the competitive proteins because of that quality advantage. And it's always a little tricky. Consumer preferences, what are they wanting? Consumer taste, providing the product they want. You think beef right now, the beef industry is in tune with the consumer then? I think we have pretty solid evidence yeah. that that's true. I, I also, and, I, and I, when I make this statement, it sounds as if I'm throwing rocks at the competitive proteins, and that's not my intent. But if you take over this 27-year period that we've talked about, beef has channeled their attention to improving quality where the competitive protein's number one objective was to increase efficiency and be the low-cost producer. Those differences in goals and objective is what's driving that separation and enabling beef to move ahead of the other other proteins. Well, as you said, beef traditionally has done well in a strong economy, so the real test is when the economy softens, right? It's going to happen. I just think we have advantages this time that we haven't had in the past. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. should be good news for the beef industry, right? Absolutely. I believe that's true. Yeah. Don, thanks a lot. Very interesting to kind of step back and look at the, the changes going on in the industry as well as where the industry is at right now. As you said, I think better position to handle uh, perhaps a downturn in the, in the general economy, whenever that may be. Good to talk with you. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Good to talk with you. Very interesting. Don Close, Senior Animal Protein Analyst for Rabo Research. Very interesting research on some of the structural changes going on within the uh, beef industry. Stay with us. More to come from here in New Orleans at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Convention. This is AOA Adams on Agriculture. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. 
Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Are you thinking about buying medicine online? A search for online pharmacies yields more than 20 million results. But which ones can you trust? Medicines bought from unlicensed online pharmacies can be dangerous. You may get a fake drug, your condition may get worse, or you may experience a bad reaction. Don't put your health at risk. To learn how to find an online pharmacy that's safe and legal, visit fda.gov slash besaferx. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, we are firm to 42 cents higher in early activity. Cash cattle trade has once again made it to a Friday with no activity. The sharp pullback in the futures yesterday could soften asking prices today in the south. In feeder cattle, we're trending 20 to 42 cents lower on the most active contracts. Firm to 22 higher in lean hog futures after losing a buck or two yesterday in the nearby contracts. Traders said to have doubts that the U.S.-China trade deal can be finalized before the March 1st deadline passes or that demand from China for U.S. pork will be as strong as previously believed. For the grain and oil seed sector, the market cautiously optimistic about the news out of Washington yesterday during the U.S.-Chinese trade talks that China had agreed to purchase 5 million metric tons of U.S. soybeans. That figure doesn't make much of a dent in U.S. soybean inventories by itself, but it could be a sign of bigger purchases in the future, according to optimistic traders. In soybean futures, 9 to 10 and a fraction higher in early trade. March at 9.25 and three quarters, up 10 and a half. Brazil's soybean crop in the 2018-19 growing season could fall to just over 112 million metric tons because of hot and dry weather in some regions. That according to INTL FC Stone. Last season, Brazilian farmers produced a record crop of over 119 million tons. March corn up two and three quarters at 3.79 and a quarter, an hour into the trading day. For the wheats, Chicago March at 5.19 and a quarter, up two and three quarters. Kansas City March up two and a quarter at 5.01. Minneapolis March up two at 5.72. The Dow up 164 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance.
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture as we continue our broadcast from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Convention in New Orleans. Joining us now is the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dan Hallstrom. Dan, uh, I know you're still waiting for all the final numbers, but it looks like even with all the trade issues and challenges, 2018 was a pretty good year for meat exports. Exactly, Mike. I think, uh, you know, the the way it's going to turn out, we're going to easily be a new record on beef exports globally. Uh, we're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of $8.5 billion in sales, um, which the record in and of itself is, is exciting. But I think what's even more exciting is the broad-based uh, growth in most of our <clears throat> major markets, excuse me. So it's not just one or two. So you look at the, the leader is probably Korea. They're up 45% through October. Um, you got Japan. You've got Mexico. You've got places. Places like Peru, uh, really broad-based growth. So I think that's really exciting, considering all the rhetoric and all the concerns. Uh, we're quite happy with 18. And you mentioned Korea, uh, not by accident, a good year there, and we have a free trade agreement with them. Exactly right. Very good point. The free trade agreement that works well keeps us very competitive, but you also have a, it's a combination of factors. You've also got per capita consumption on beef that's increasing. Um, their ability to supply domestically is can't keep up, so declining self-sufficiency. And and I really think we are starting to get our story out. Uh, you know, our, our story about you know the grain-fed taste experience. The you know it's a bunch of uh, meat eaters in Korea that love our products. So, and really, you could say that across uh, a lot of these markets, uh, the, the the per capita consumption of beef is increasing globally. Let's look to Japan as we look to this year, and Japan would seem to be a key. Uh, what are you hearing as far as uh, the possibility of getting a deal done with them? This is a priority, I think, for the U.S. industry is uh, we, we are definitely, even though the results are very good, we're setting records over $2 billion in sales again in 18. But there is a large concern vis-a-vis -vis our competitors like Australia, uh, Canada, and Mexico. They're all in the CPTPP, and, and they now have a 12% duty advantage over the U.S., and that, that number gets larger over time. So I think we've done a good job as an industry to our uh, our groups in Washington the need to get um, working on this Japan uh, bilateral quickly and uh, you know it, it would really can't let any grass grow under our feet on this one these countries are all getting in other trade deals without us so that makes it even more important for us to get deals done exactly right yeah we we have you know I remember pre BSE when we had two-thirds of the import market share in Japan and now we're just a we're about 42% share now. Uh, there's a lot of additional market to get to regain. Um, market that I feel is ours, and uh, and I know the industry feels the same way. But you know, without access, um, you know, we're not asking for preferential access. Actually, just give me equal access, or give our industry equal access, and we'll compete. We're talking with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Talks going on this week with China. What's the potential there for beef? Well, yeah, I think, um, you know, China's a very complex market. There's a lot of moving parts, but uh, there's a lot of upside for U.S. beef. <coughs> the, um, um, 
you know the, the deal that we have we, we regained access a year a year and a half ago but it's limited access and uh, you know that while that's nice it should be nice to have access that's unfettered uh, and based on science and there's a lot of upside obviously if we can get that done so we'll see where those talks go and it looks like that's going to go on for some time uh, let's take a look at USMCA which uh, will be coming to the forefront here in Congress before long uh, but we still have the, the tariffs on steel and aluminum with Mexico and Canada. How is that impacting our ability to sell into those markets? Well, I think uh, on beef, the, the impact has been minimal so far, although there's still a threat. You know, where we have to be very aware of the <clears throat> possibility that, that, you know, things could work against us there in the long term. Uh, you look at the pork side, and they are definitely struggling with a 20% duty on, on pork in New Mexico. So, <clears throat> once again... Um, we just talked about all the success in Asia. Well, it goes hand-in-hand hand with, with Canada and Mexico because the product mix into Canada and Mexico is entirely different than Asia. That's the beauty of it. The carcass is being spread out over all these different regions. And um, all the more reason we have to do everything we can vis-a-vis a USMCA or NAFTA 2.0 agreement to assure that we maintain our zero duty down to Mexico and up to Canada. Because if we don't pass a deal and if the president pulls us out of NAFTA, then what? Well, that's our that's one of the concerns because if we um, if we make a formal with, uh, notification to withdraw from NAFTA, the six month window starts to tick, and if a deal is not made at that time, you revert back to pre NAFTA, which is over a twenty percent duty on U.S. beef. So that that would be uh, the worst case scenario. We have to do everything we can, as I said earlier, to assure that we can maintain that zero duty status. Let's look at the European Union. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about possible deals with them. They say they don't want to include agriculture. Uh, our side has said it has to include agriculture. We know there are some big ag differences between us and the U.S. Uh, what do you see? What do we do there now as far as sales and what potential do you see there? Well, um, our business into the EU is, is relatively small, but I do think it's a key market. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's about a 17, 18,000 ton market for U.S. beef. And uh, there is ability to grow. Um, we are uh, working with the administration and USTR, working on getting a deal with Europe that ha- ha- would identify a zero-duty-only quota just for the U.S. Um, but I think it's bigger than that. I think this is more of a, of a, of a test case on methodology, as you alluded to earlier. Um, we very much uh, uh, work on the premise in the U.S. of the freedom to operate. And um, that's not quite the case in Europe. Uh, there's a lot of restrictions, hormone usage being one of the big ones. So I think uh, I think getting agriculture included in those talks is key. That's the reason our administration is pushing for that. Agriculture doesn't like tariffs. Uh, President Trump has said he likes tariffs for a negotiating tool. Um, so when we try to look to the future of trade policy, how do how does those two differing opinions you think play out here yeah i mean it's a different there's no doubt that the approach is a little different to what we're used to um but but i can't say that that's bad i mean uh, this may well work out in everyone's favor i mean what we're seeing now is there's some volatility created through the uncertainty um but but honestly you know you know it's probably not for for us to say. Um, we support the administration in their in their work. Um, there's a lot of moving parts besides just agriculture, 
but it is our duty or our, our job, the job of our, our uh, group to make, uh, make our members' uh, concerns known. And uh, gone over them, but two of our biggest concerns, uh, Japan, number one, that we just talked about, and number two is uh, USMCA, making sure we get something done to, to protect our ground in North America. And then, of course, China and some of these other markets uh, that have a lot of moving parts are also on the agenda. But I don't think, honestly, Mike, I don't think there's anything more important than getting a Japan bilateral done as soon as possible and protecting our interests in North America with the USMCA. I remember when we were at the Meat Congress and some of the trade tensions were just starting to come up. And we talked at that time about what would be the reaction of our customers around the world. When you talk with them now, do they still look at us as uh, a dependable supplier, or do these issues that are going on right now make them question that at all? Yeah, that, that is a very good question and a big concern of ours. Um, you know, like any business, relationships are developed over decades. And that's been the case in Japan, the case in Mexico, Canada, a lot of our markets around the world. Um, I think to answer your question, I think we still are seen as a dependable supplier. However, uh, at some point, um, this uncertainty and this volatility uh, will put that at risk. And uh, so that, that's what not only what USMEF is doing, but what our members, our packers, our traders doing the exporting. They're in the, in the, in the markets around the world every day trying to assure their customers that we are dependable suppliers. So if we can get some resolution on some of these key issues sooner rather than later, that'll help us in a long way. And let's wrap it up by looking at some uh, emerging markets or potential markets that are out there that you're working on. You know, this this is probably one benefit of some of this volatility is it's forced the industry to, to be a little more proactive, including uh, our organization, USMEF. We are spending a lot of time looking at these developing regions that aren't so big today. Central America is a good example. Uh, Panama, Guatemala, El Salvador, all small markets in and of themselves, but they're growing very quickly percentage-wise. You look at places like Colombia, same thing. Um, and we got some brand new areas, relatively brand new in Africa. You know, Ghana, Angola, South Africa. Uh, Africa as a continent, uh, minus Egypt, but West and South Africa is now our third largest uh, destination for beef variety meat. So this is maybe something good that's come out of all this volatility is the uh, desire to diversify our customer base a little bit more. Do those markets have the ability to to buy, to pay for the product? Well, they, they, they do, although it's uh, it's not nearly as uh, mature of a yeah. supply channel as some of the other markets. But this is the way markets start. They start, um, there's a little bit risky, um, it's a little bit thin in terms of the trade, but uh, that you got to start somewhere. And, uh, um, you know, South Africa and Angola have been two important markets for beef livers, for example. So, yeah, I think over time you're going to see these, uh, these newer regions like this uh, develop more and more. Yeah. Market development takes time. You have to build relationships that you talked about earlier, and uh, you can't just do that overnight, so it does take a period of time. As always, good to talk with you, Dan. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. It's Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Again, 2018, with all of its problems, turned out to be a very good year for meat exports. And uh, if certain things fall in place, 2019 could be a very, very good year. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Stay with us. More coming up from the NCBA convention here in New Orleans, coming up on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
All right, guys. We're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no. We'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym. My gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait. A family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for four seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started. Call 855-801-2854. 855-801-2854. That's 855-801-2854. 
You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask? Save the food. Because this ad is trying to change the world's behavior through brainwashing. Because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. And that costs a family of four $1,500 a year. Save the food. Cha-ching. It's worsening climate change through the release of methane gas. Save the food. Cha-ching. And it's wasting precious natural resources like our fresh water. Save the food. Cha-ching. So when you hear this sound, don't be neutral. Rethink your behavior. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture, broadcasting from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Convention going on in New Orleans. Joining us now, Ethan Lane, Senior Executive Director, Federal Lands for NCBA, also Executive Director of the Public Lands Council. Ethan, thanks for joining us. There are always some uh, key issues when it comes to to land and and private property rights and those issues. Um, Let's kind of bring people up to date. There's some things you're working on right now. Give us an update. So you're you're right. And and, and this administration, which has seen a lot of regulatory change and a lot of opportunity, I think, for, for cattle producers around the country, we're starting to really zero in on making sure that we get our priorities across the finish line before the end of this president's first term. Uh, For us, that has meant a real focus on the Endangered Species Act, the National Environmental Policy Act, and grazing regulations for our permittees that are operating uh, on BLM and Forest Service allotments around the West. Because there's definitely a different um, approach to those issues by this administration compared to the Obama administration? Night and day. There's no question about that. And, and, you know, it's funny because I think a lot of times this administration gets blamed for sort of giving away the store. And in reality, what we've seen is we just now have a seat at the table that we didn't have before. During the Obama administration, these conservation groups and environmental groups were sort of dictating this is what we need to see, and that definitely did not include cattle being out on the, on the right. land. This administration has all those same people at the table, but we get to sit there now too. So our voice is in the mix, and as we say a lot, when we get to voice our opinion and our science is there, we win because we're right, mm-hmm. because you need that, that production on the landscape. So um, we're just excited that we have an administration that's listening to some of that on some of those key issues for producers like ESA, it's really meaning all the, making all the difference on um, you know, where we may be able to get in the next 10 years uh, on species like the gray wolf that is really plaguing areas like the Great Lakes where you have a massive overpopulation, the lesser prairie chicken that's, that's kind of haunting our producers in Texas and Oklahoma and Kansas, um, the uncertainty of some of those listings and, and those pending listings. Um, if we can make some headway in this administration by, by continuing their regulatory efforts through changing some of those specific sections so that they're not as, as weaponized. Um, that's going to be a, a, a shift in how these, these resources are managed. It's going to benefit producers all around the country. Have changes been made, or is it just a change in approach that gives you the opportunity, perhaps, to get changes made? So, you know, you have the statutory side on Capitol Hill, and then you have the regulatory side. On the regulatory side, we have three different rules that have been issued by the Department of Interior and the administration that are in draft comment status waiting to be finalized. Those three rules target sections 7 and 4 of the Endangered Species. 
to regulatory action. That, that is that is rulemaking that is going to change the way ESA works. So that's that's real change on the ground. We expect that to be followed up by more changes to sections, sections six and ten. Um, and so what they're doing is they're zeroing in on those areas that have been hot spots. Critical habitat is, is one that's really been a problem. Um, there's been a story around the country people have been following on the dusky gopher frog down in, in uh, uh, Louisiana, just a, an hour north of where we are now, uh, where the government came in under the Obama administration and designated 1,500 acres of private ground as critical habitat for a frog that that ground can't support, and the frog doesn't live there. But it does live the next state over in Mississippi. And what they told Weyerhaeuser, the paper company that owns it, is uh, if you really work hard enough, you could make this private ground really uh, effective for the frog. Well, that's not how that's supposed to work. Uh, 17 states agreed with us on that and took it to, to court. It's been to the Supreme Court now during uh, Kavanaugh's cons- uh, con- uh, confirmation process. So they're working on getting that back up there so the court can hear that. But um, the administration preempted that and said, you know what, we're going to go ahead and change that law now. We're going to go ahead and change that regulation. We're going to peel back what the Obama era brought us so that you can't use that critical habitat designation as a weapon. So these are real changes. They're technical. They're in the weeds. They're stuff that us nerds on ESA spend a lot of time, you know, obsessing over the details. But but it's going to translate into a better environment for producers on the ground. Uh, a case that people have been watching. Uh, can you give us an update on the Hammonds case? Yeah, you know, it's been a big week on the on the Hammonds front. You know, obviously earlier this this last year in 2018, we were extremely pleased that the president chose to pardon Dwight and Stephen, Stephen Hammond, those ranchers in eastern Oregon that were uh, sentenced to five years in prison um, under federal terrorism statutes for lighting a 100-acre backburn on their private land. This was sort of an egregious uh, uh, situation that sparked a lot of outrage around the country. Um, Step two in that, once we got them home to their family, is getting their federal grazing permits back. And this is something that a lot of different organizations around the country have been working on. Grassroots organizations, NCBA and PLC, have been right at the forefront of that, talking to the administration. And we were uh, notified on Monday that they are having their permits reinstated. And and that means that family can get back to work. They can get back to the to the uh, business of raising cattle and their family ranch. And uh, that, that really gives us a feeling of accomplishment, knowing that we were able to help in that process. And, and uh, we actually got to be the ones to call them and deliver the news from Interior that uh, they got those permits back. So, uh, yeah, it's nice to start the week down here with a win. Are there some other cases that we need to be watching? You know, there are always cases perking out there. And, and you know, I mean, I could we could we could wear out hours talking about the different ones that may blow up, for lack of a better term, from one day to the next. But I think what we're seeing that's making that less and less of an issue right now is this administration's willing to hear us when we say, hey, you guys at a local level are stepping out too far here or here, and let's talk about how to make sure you're doing your jobs properly and you're implementing law properly and not getting into a, you know, a, a zone where you're pursuing ranchers in an inappropriate way. You know, I think that's a, we look at a lot of times and I talk about a lot on here about agriculture support of the Trump administration, even though we've not seen the trade deals get done yet and, and a lot of things like that. Uh, and we wonder, okay, why is there such support? This is part of the reason because of some of the efforts by the administration on the regulatory side and the, the willingness to give, as you said, agri- agriculture a seat back at the table. A hundred percent for my end of the world in particular, um, you know, I, I think that we have been a real beneficiary of a fair conversation and, and fair treatment from, from this new administration. Um, you know, and, and that does that does heal a lot of other 
you know, potential bruises and wounds from things that aren't going the, the way we would like them to. But I think by and large, you know, what we hear from our producers on the ground is they're willing to give this administration a lot of latitude to go out and get some of those trade deals done. If there's an opportunity to fix some problems that, that you know, that are going to take a little bit of aggressive action to fix. Like we, Waters of the U.S.? Well, that's that's right. I think Waters of the U.S. Uh, is, is one of those that, you know, they've they've been plugging away on and trying to get a solution that, uh, that makes sense. Um, we've been asking for a clear rule for a long time. So has everybody else. Um, it seems like we're making progress towards that. Um, but, yeah, that drumbeat of regulatory reform is critical for them to deliver on the ground to, to keep those folks happy. And right now, um, they're keeping that engine chugging along. All right. That's Ethan Lane, Senior Executive Director of Federal Lands for NCBA and also Executive Director of the Public Lands Council. Ethan, thanks for the update. Thanks, Mike. That wraps it up for our coverage of this year's NCBA convention here in New Orleans. Thanks for joining us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.